I'm Henry Standage, and you're listening to the Western Science Speaks podcast. We are all energy consumers, and while it may be something we take for granted, at least until the electricity bill shows up in the mail, the nuclear energy industry is in a more complex place than it has ever been. There are more methods for generating energy, and there are more competitors, not just domestically, but globally, all using analytically sound approaches. Companies don't want to manufacture any more energy than will actually be put to use, and so every hour of every day is important to find the most efficient way of supplying energy to Canadian households. Dr. Matt Davison is the director of the School of Mathematical and Statistical Sciences at Western University, as well as an energy finance expert and advisor for one of Canada's largest mining companies, Goldcorp. Today, we'll be talking about two issues on the show. In the first half of the show, we'll be talking about Canada's energy situation at large. Later, we'll explore how Professor Davison financially advises energy companies. To start our interview, I asked Matt about Ontario's skyrocketing electricity rates, which have nearly doubled in the past decade. This has led several large manufacturers to leave the country. I wanted to know as an energy consumer why I should be concerned. I think we should be concerned uh, as an energy consumer, but also as a citizen of the province. Uh, as a citizen of the province, having large companies leave uh, decreases employment for all Ontarians. And it also reduces the tax revenue, uh, which we rely upon to run our various social programs. As a consumer, of course, a doubling in our electricity rates hits us right directly in our bank book. Matt's largest concern was that when an energy manufacturer leaves Ontario, it doesn't just affect the consumer. It creates a domino effect for the plant's providers and advisors, leading to accumulative job loss. One company leaving has a negative impact on the other companies that, that were supplied by it or that supply it. Uh, and that ranges right down from the mom-and-pop restaurant across from the plant gate to uh, sophisticated providers of tax and financial advice. Next, I pivoted the conversation to uranium. Canada was the world leader in uranium export in the 20th century. However, in the 21st century, Canada's uranium export rates have plummeted. I wanted to know how Canada's decline in uranium export has affected the energy landscape of the whole country. There's a number of things going on there. Uh, one thing is that nuclear power is no longer as popular in many jurisdictions. The Germans are reducing their, their emphasis on nuclear power. The Japanese, for reasons to do with the uh, recent uh, earthquake and tsunami there, um, and at the same time, and this is a good news part of the story, a large number of atomic warheads have actually been um, taken out of that use and have been, um, the, the uranium they contained has been refined into power uranium um, in this sort of uh, warheads for peace program that the Americans ran in the, in the, uh, in the late 90s. So that's, that's to totally changed the supply-demand dynamics of the uranium uh, market. And uh, one consequence of that is, is Canada not supplying as much uranium on the world stage. Canada's decline in uranium export has coincided with a domestic incentive to use renewable energies. Take wind, for example. Previously 13 cents per kilowatt hour, it's now just 8.59 cents. 
These tariffs on renewable energy reflect a country that wants to move toward an environmentally friendlier future. Yeah, so the thing with renewables is that they're, the fuel to run a, run a renewable uh, generator, such as a solar panel or a wind turbine, the fuel cost is, is zero. The wind, the wind blows and the sun shines and we don't have to pay for that. When energy manufacturers invest in renewables, it makes them more likely to stay in the country. So that makes, makes such generation technologies very economically attractive on one hand, but on the other hand, the capital cost for producing, um, for, for constructing a wind turbine is, is relatively high. And that means that companies need to um, pay back that capital investment over a period of years. And in order to give them the certainty they need to do that, Ontario chose to provide a, a feed-in tariff Canada's current tariff program ends in 2029, when the country will have to decide if it wants to continue in the same direction. Once the feed-in tariff stops, though, these feed-in tariffs have a certain have a certain period for which they, they hold, and after that, all bets are off. At the end of the feed-in tariff program, then, depending on what comes after, we may see uh, a big change in the wind landscape. One of the major factors for Canada's shift to renewable energy was the potential thousands of employment opportunities a homegrown program could offer. Another thing that, that many jurisdictions, including Ontario, were hoping was that if we had a flourishing wind generation industry in, in the province, we would also have a flourishing manufacturing industry to make wind turbine blades, to make gearboxes, to make a variety of these highly engineered, high-end um, products. Same thing, same hope was, was true for, for the solar industry, that we would be, we would actually be building the, the components for a solar farm within our own province. Um, now, I think that initial um, wish has remained to a large degree unsatisfied. I think mm -hmm. we are still mostly importing, um, importing components for these industries from abroad. Um, there have been, there, there, there was, for instance, a, uh, a factory that made, a Siemens factory that made um, wind turbine blades in Tilsonburg. Um, it, it's uh, recently been announced that that will be closing um, and that those, those components will have to be imported from, from somewhere else. As Canadians, it's important that we don't get disenchanted about our shaky start with renewables. Canada is still new to the table regarding renewable energy, and making a culture change this large takes time, especially when other countries have been in the game so much longer, like China, as Matt points out. Um, I think that the cost of solar panels, for instance, has decreased much faster than anyone, I think, foresaw uh, 15 or 20 years ago. Um, and a lot of that is being driven um, by Chinese manufacture of, of solar panels, which has become very, mm. they've been able to manufacture them very inexpensively. I see. Um, and it makes it hard to compete um, yeah. outside of that area. Um, and in the wind industry, there's a lot of expertise in Europe in, in wind. Um, they've been working on it much longer than, than we have in Ontario. And I mean, the, the Germans and the Danes are, are also very well known for high quality, um, high quality machinery and yeah. high quality engineering products. So they've got that advantage and the advantage of a long history in the, in the industry. And it's hard for us to compete with that. I don't think probably not impossible, but it's hard. 
That was the first half of my interview with Dr. Matt Davison. Coming up, we talk about his role as a researcher for Canadian mining company Goldcorp. Canadian energy companies are billed for the five days Canadians use the most energy. These five days are called the peak load. Matt ensures that companies like Goldcorp don't manufacture any more energy than they'll actually put to use during these five days, therefore keeping costs down. They have several mining sites, they, well, any industrial consumers, they, they, are, they are built based on how much electricity they use in the, in the five days during which Ontario has the highest electricity use in the year. And this is decided at the end of the year. So as you go through the year, you don't, you don't know if this is going to be one of the top five days. You might think it's likely, but you don't know for sure until the year is over. Uh, and the question is, in advance, how do you decide what, what days to shut down? Um, shutting down the rock crusher or switching to diesel power costs money. Um, uh, and you would hate to shut it down for a day that wasn't one of the top five. So we're, we're looking at some of the data and we're looking at some of the financial modeling involved in, in helping them make this decision in, a, in hopefully a more accurate and, and more objective way. While a mining company like Goldcorp can't just get up and leave, they are afforded the luxury of flexibility. What makes them maybe a little bit less typical is that they do have the ability to shut down their, their production. Um, if you were if you were the um, um, a, a auto parts factory in, I don't know, um, Tilsonburg or something, you might have a fairly large electricity bill in the year, but the cost of shutting down your assembly line would be so high compared to the electricity that you'd save that it just doesn't make sense for you to worry about this stuff. You, will just, you might not be happy with having to pay the, the global adjustment surcharge at the end of the year, but it's a, it's a cost of doing business that you can't get rid of. You may, as we talked about in the first segment, um, if, if the costs get too high, you may decide to leave in Ontario entirely. Mm. A mining company is a little different. It kind of can't leave on, they can't leave Ontario. They can't take, pick up their mine and take it elsewhere. Their mine is where the mine is. Um, but they also have the flexibility to, to decide to, to mill their ore another day. If energy providers had it their way, energy would be consumed at the same quantity for all 24 hours. Obviously with sleep this is impossible, but if you're like me and plug in your phone and laptop every night, you're helping make the difference between day and night less and less significant. What's really interesting there, um, to what degree um, electrical cars are going to change the dynamic. And uh, the battery in an electrical car um, holds something like 10 kilowatt hours. So if you had a million electrical cars in the province, which we don't have at the moment, but if you did, and they were charging every night, um, that would be a lot of electricity getting shifted into the night hours that currently isn't being consumed in the night hours. So that, that may have the impact of, um, of flattening our load shape in the province quite a bit. And in, in, interestingly, this, this will be quite useful to the, to, in, to the wind industry. Not for the solar industry. The solar industry is not generating a lot of electricity in the middle of the night for obvious reasons. But the wind industry, the wind, it does tend to get a little windier at night than it is during the day on average. And so right now, the wind industry is generating a little bit more of its power at night when the power isn't needed as much. 
and a little less of it during the day when it's needed more. Um, shifting to widespread charging of electric vehicles may actually help um, help with that uh, feature of, of, the, of the wind industry. And if you've ever wondered why utilities are so cheap at night, well, now you have your answer. Electrical utilities have always been trying to encourage um, relatively uniform usage. This is one reason why um, there's time of use pricing for regular consumers, not just for companies like Goldcorp, but regular consumers, um, they will pay a higher amount to generate, to use electricity during the day than at night. And so people will, that's supposed to encourage people to, for instance, run their dishwasher overnight instead of during the day or, or do their laundry overnight. Now, for, I think for a student doing your laundry at two in the morning is probably not uh, all that strange because students have those kind of life patterns. Yeah. For for an adult, it's it's uh, for an adult with a job and maybe young kids and stuff. I think doing doing laundry at two in the morning is maybe not going to happen. But uh, the point is is to try and shift load from the the peak demand to the to the less demand. To end our interview, I asked Matt about how geographical location can play a part in how energy is provided and consumed. Take Canada for example a place with an extremely low population density for the size of its country. How does this affect the way energy is provided compared to somewhere like India or China? Canada is, is very lucky to have a large amount of hydroelectric power and that's because we have we have such a large geographical extent that our watersheds are big and they end up culminating in these big powerful rivers that can be used to generate a lot of electricity. Um, we, we also have access to fossil fuels, uh, in particular natural gas, which is relatively clean compared to coal. Um, and that needs to get transported across the country to be used. Um, Canada's population density is, is low if you sort of look at the population of Canada and divide it by the area of Canada. But if you, if you look at the population density, for instance, of southern Ontario, is actually not all that low. Um, I mean, an awful, probably a quarter of Canadians live in live in southern Ontario, and the area of southern Ontario is no more than a percent of the area of Canada at most. Um, and so our population density around here is, is almost approaching the density of certain parts of Europe, which makes it actually um, kind of efficient for renewables. Uh, Unlike in some U.S. jurisdictions where your wind farms might be out in the plains of Wyoming and they might be two, three hundred kilometers from where the power is being used, our wind farms are in um, the Lake Huron Shore, the Lake Erie Shore. They're really not that far from relatively large population centers like Windsor or London um, or even Toronto where, where the power is consumed. So it actually means we don't need quite as much new transmission lines. In fact, we need very few new transmission lines uh, on a kilometer basis to, to, run, to run our renewable energy. Um, the other advantage Canada has is the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Seaway. That makes it easy to move, um, historically has made it easy to move large amounts of coal um, into the industrial, industrial heartland of, of Ontario and of, of the country. Um, which has historically made it relatively easy to run coal generation plants. Now we've, we've gone away from that for environmental reasons, but, um, 
but that was that was that geography was a big driver of our energy system and will continue to be. That was my interview with Dr. Matt Davison. If you liked it, show your friends, email it to your profs, and turn off the lights when you leave the house. I'm Henry Standage. Thanks for listening.